It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, why it's been over, a fair assessment of the Falcons, and I want Trey to be the heel. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Hitting hard as part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app and follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So I said weeks ago that this division is over. And while the Braves had their hiccup this weekend against the Chicago White Sox, and it's interesting because the White Sox, Red Sox, and Oakland A's are 5-3 and three against the Atlanta Braves this year. So three of the bottom-feeding teams in the American League have had their way with the Braves. But the reason that I say that this division has been over the Braves right now are 22 and 22 and 6 in the division. They are 9 and 1 against the Marlins. They are 5 and 1 against the Mutts. They are 4 and 2 against the Nationals and 4 and 2 versus the Philadelphia Phillies. And this is why when we say that proclaiming the division's over. This is not hyperbole or anything like that. The the Braves are not just the best team in the National League, but every time the Phillies or the Mutts or the Marlins or the Nationals get their chance to go head-to-head against the Atlanta Braves, they've gone down in, in massive defeat. And when you're 22-6 and six within your own division, How are you going to overcome all of that? That's not going to, by the way, magically change. It's not like the Phillies and the Mutts are all of a sudden going to have this epiphany where, oh, we need to beat the Braves head-to-head? Oh, yeah, we need to play better against the Braves? Your two main division rivals, the Mutts and Phillies, Braves are 9-3 and against those two teams. 9-3. and Like, they're not struggling against, you know, those teams. Again, if you're going to have some struggles, and maybe they just don't take some of these teams seriously, I don't think that's the case. But again, for whatever reason why, you know, if you're the White Sox, Red Sox, and Oakland A's, maybe you should give the Mutts and Phillies some of your insight as to why they've been successful versus, you know, this Braves ball club to where those two teams that spent gazillions of dollars. I mean, the Oakland A's are 2-1 and against the the, uh, Braves this year. They spent like six bucks on their roster. Like literally, the folding money in my pocket would cover their payroll. What? Meanwhile, the Mutts and the Phillies, they've got $800 million in committed money and all this goofy kind of stuff or whatever like that. And then the Phillies are not wanting to play Bryce Harper at first base as you've got a big weekend series at home. 
again, it's it's all turmoil. But if you want to know the reason why, you can boil it down for for all of the things that we have talked about, right? That the pitching, you know, the hitting, the lineup, the deepest lineup in baseball. They've gotten away with, you know, fewer starters and the starters that they do have are all-stars and they got eight all-stars and all this and they're doing this and they're doing that or whatever like that. The fact is it all boils down to 22 and six in the division. And when you control the division like that, you're always going to be the team that stands at the top. And this happened last year. It's happened over the last handful of years. The Braves, I mean, again, that's why the Marlins, when you look and say, well, you know, they're only nine and a half games. By the way, they're nine and a half games back now. Well, they're only nine and a half games back. Yeah, and the Braves are nine and one against them. The Braves have won nine out of ten against the Marlins. Like, you've had your chance. You've, you've, you've had plenty of opportunity. And again, remember now, we don't have the 19 games in the division like we have in years past, right? It's a little bit more balanced kind of schedule. So, again... When you you can boil everything that the Braves success, everything that you know again lineups and everything, you can boil it all down to twenty two and six in the division. And if you've got that kind of record against your main competition, the teams that you're going to play the most, it's over at this point. It's over. I don't care that they lost two out of three to the lowly White Sox. I don't really care. You know, again, they handle their business. Now they got the Diamondbacks coming in. Okay. So that that's why I say when 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 anybody panics about, oh, well, the Braves are on this losing streak or, you know, they hadn't played as well. or And, again, that hasn't happened very well. What they just – they the streak was snapped at, a, what was it, 11 consecutive series that the Braves have won going into this weekend series with the White Sox. Okay. Again, you're not going to win every game. I mean, you know, the old saying in baseball is you're going to win 60, you're going to lose 60. What you do in that other 40, 45 games or whatever like that, that's going to be the difference in, you know, are you a good foot, are you a good baseball team or not? So, again, you want to know why? It's all about the division. And the Braves own this division. When you say about, you know, the Braves, well, they've won five straight divisions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's more than that. It's about owning the division and your competition level. Yeah, the Marlins may end up finding their way into the playoffs or whatever like that. Yeah, maybe Philadelphia's got an outside shot, you know, getting into the playoffs or whatever like that. Mutts are done. Nationals are done. You know, again, those two franchises are done. But, you know, maybe the other two can find a way. Who cares? And I understand that the Phillies beat the Braves in the playoffs last year. Again, that's a whole... That's a whole separate discussion, right? Like that's that's a complete, right? The 2003 Braves steamrolled everybody in, you know, the National League and, you know, dominated the entire National League. Then they got against the Chicago Cubs who were just barely hanging on and they ran into Pryor and Wood and it was, and they were done. And and Leo, anything can happen in a short series, right? So we'll, we'll discuss the playoffs and all that in a whole separate conversation, right? But the Braves own this division. The Braves are the class of this division. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I'm not talking about just the rest of this year. I'm talking about moving forward. There is something about the idea that when these other teams 
get a chance to go against the Atlanta Braves, they wet the they wet their pants. They they have a little tinkle coming down their their leg for it all because they can't figure out a way to beat this team, and that's the reason why when I said a few weeks ago that this division was over with the big month that they had in twenty or sorry in the June and the fact that the Phillies and the Mutts couldn't take advantage of it. Then they were going to play the Marlins, and the Marlins stank up the joint, and they swept all those series. That's why. 22-6 and six in their division. It's not hard to understand why the Braves are the class of their division, and it's, and it's going to be that way for a long time moving forward. All right, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. As you know, FanDuel is America's number one sports book, and as we're in the second half of MLB season, FanDuel's got a great offer for you where – you get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets up to $200. So that's right. You can bet 20 bucks on FanDuel and you'll get $200 in bonus bets, whether you win or whether you lose. That's $200 you can spend on betting on everything from the money lines to the over-unders to who you think is going to hit the first home run. And obviously, FanDuel is a safe, secure, and I mean super easy to use app. And even more importantly is when you win, you get paid instantly. No better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. So head to FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to get up to $200 in bonus bets, win or lose on your first bet. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is the official partner of Major League Baseball. So former NFL GM Randy Mueller, who was a GM for the New Orleans Saints and the Miami Dolphins, and I guess he's a contributor as well um, to the athletic, he gave kind of an assessment about what the biggest concern for the Atlanta Falcons is. And here's his quote, quote, do they have enough bells and whistles at premium positions and game changing spots when picking high in the first round? In any draft, some teams' goals are either big guys, tackles or defensive linemen, or fast guys who force teams to either defend you differently, perimeter speed, or allow you to get to the passer on defense. Grinding out touchdowns with RPOs and play-action passes only has so much shelf life. Now, look, this is what I've brought up consistently about all of this, you know, philosophy and style and things like that. And this is not about, you know, we don't have enough money to draft guys or pay guys, or this is not about cap space and all of those other different things. Okay. And and Mueller was, you know, quick to point out that he does believe Robinson at number eight will be a strong weapon for Smith and the Falcons to lean on. And he, but he remains unconvinced that Ritter is the answer at quarterback, saying that, quote, he's at best a work in progress. But this is, see, this is the exact thing that I talk about. Now, now you're hearing an NFL GM, former NFL GM, say the same exact thing that when you draft guys at, at when you have that kind of high draft capital, they better be home runs at premium positions. And, and I like Pitts and London and all this kind of stuff, but 
again, why do I talk? You know, I, I just did a hit on BetQL, you know, from DC, and and they were like, you're talking about Kyle Pitts. I said it's been kind of underwhelming for Kyle Pitts. He has to have that tra- Travis Kelsey kind of breakout. Well, you know, I said 100 catches, 1400 yards, dozen touchdowns, and I, well, that's a lot of pressure to put. What do you mean it's pressure? He's the fourth overall pick. That's what he should be. That's what his numbers should be. If he's going to influence the game, that's what it's got to be. Because if you're not going to draft pass rusher at those premium positions, you have to influence the game with those kinds of picks. And, and it's right now the Falcons don't influence the game at premium positions. Let me reread you that quote. Okay. Let me let me re let me reread part of that quote. Do they have enough bells and whistles at premium positions and game-changing spots? Ask yourself that question. Is is the game won because we have good wide receivers or a tight end that's really fast? Is that where the game is won? Or is the game won right up front? Is the game won with your offensive and defensive lines? The, the, the guy that's a G, former GM is telling you all of this. When picking in the first round, you either get big guys or guys who allow you to defend differently on the outside or premium or, or passers or, or speed passer, you know, pass rushers. And that's my question. That's what that's the only thing that I'm concerned about is the idea of do we have the guys who can influence the game at the premium positions. You you can argue with me all day long about this and that and things like that. It still boils down to the same exact thing. You know, the reason that we haven't, the reason we've lost 20 games the last two years isn't because of cap space, isn't because of Marcus Mariota and all these other things that we try to distract ourselves from, right? We don't have enough guys at premium positions to influence the game. Even the former general manager understands that. We don't have some of those guys, and that's why I continue to circle around. As camp's going to get started here, guys will start reporting, you know, in a week from now, and open practices will start on Thursday and Friday, and it's going to be the question that I'm going to have. Do I think that there are potential for those premium positions that influence the game? Yes. Yes. But as of right now, it's not been proven. It's not been proven that we have those kinds of guys that can influence the game at premium positions. Look, again, we got Drew Dolman at center, potentially either Matt Hennessy or Matthew Bergeron at guard. If you play Dolman and Hennessy, my fear is over 17 games, some of the same things are going to happen. You're going to have two undersized guys that are going to be overwhelmed. Dolman's not a guy who can go forward and, and, and push people around. Hennessy's not a guy who can go forward and push people around. You, now, again, Bergeron's a guy who can. He's physically got the size and strength, 6'5", 321. He's got the size and strength to do all that kind of stuff. But he's unproven, and he's never been a guard. See, again, that th- these are these little subtle things. People latch on to, you know, well, you know, stats for London, how many – receptions that he have or how many targets did Kyle Pitts have and all that again we need to influence the game where it counts most and 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 a NFL GM is telling you those kinds of things 
Do they have enough? He's asking the same question that I have been asking. Quote, do they have enough bells and whistles at premium positions and game-changing spots? And that does include your quarterback, by the way, too. That does include your quarterback. Again, for all of our flaws and warts, if Desmond Ritter is the MVP of the league, we're going to be in the Super Bowl. So if your quarterback plays outstanding, we'll be in good shape, which probably means your offensive line is really good as well. But do we have enough bells and whistles and players at premium positions in game-changing spots? That's what it comes down to. We can talk about drafts. We can talk about our additions. We can talk about the money that we spent. We can talk about all of these other things. But in the NFL, it's not all that complicated. It boils down to can you win games at the spots that it counts most? Offensive line, defensive line, quarterback. Can you influence the game at those positions? If you can't, then you become one of those midland kinds of franchises. If you can, you may not have all of the talent in the world, but if you've got guys who can win up front on both sides of the ball and your quarterback plays really well, you can win a whole crap ton of football games. That's the blueprint for the NFL. Be great in your offensive line, be great in your defensive line, have a great quarterback. You got those three things, <laughs> you're going to win all. doesn't matter what your receivers are and all this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, those are toys to, to have, but you got to have those three things. You got to influence the game at those positions. And you're hearing an NFL general manager say the exact same verbiage, the exact same verbiage that I've been telling you all for months. I believe in that. Now, again, like I said, can they do it? Do they have people that if they step their game up can do it? Absolutely. If Ebicady becomes a 10-12 sack guy, if Bergeron takes over at left guard and he dominates in his rookie year like Tristan Wirfs, if he has that kind of year, then we've got something. But if we end up with the Jalen Mayfield-esque type of play on our interior offensive line, or we're a 19-sack team, guess where we're going to be? 7-10, and 8-9, maybe 9-8, and eight, maybe. You know, if things really go well, we're going to be back in that kind of mode. And that's why I think we're not going to regress super far. I think we progress, you know, to where we're a 9 or 10 win team. But you want to get into that 11, 12, 13 kind of win team? Okay, dominate on your defensive line of scrimmage. Push people around up front, have really good quarterback play. Then you will, then you will be Buffalo and Cincinnati and Kansas City. Then you will be those teams. Then you will be Philadelphia. Then you'll be those kinds of teams. But the general manager, the former general manager of two franchises, is asking the same exact question that I'm asking. Let's hope that it works itself out. Let's hope that we have those guys that can step their game up at premium positions. Because if we don't, then there's going to be some trouble on, on the horizon. All right, as you make hitting hard your first listen, be sure to go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you listen on to. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. We like to call them our everydayers, so we do thank you so much for being a part of our community. But let us know that you listen in five days a week to the podcast, and let us know that you're an everydayer on whatever podcast platform that you listen on. Leave us a comment on it as well. You know, I want Trey Young to be the heel. So Draymond Green recently had... um, uh, Trey Young um, on, uh, or sorry, uh, he had he was he was talking about um, the New York Knicks and and the world's most famous arena, right? That that the Knicks you know have there, 
And he was talking about the idea of, um, and and I guess he did have Trey Young on. They were they were uh, at the uh, interrupted film festival. They were together, and they were talking about this. Where Draymond Green said, "New York fans are the freaking," and he didn't use the word freaking. He used the F word. New York fans are freaking delusional and miserable. They're a hard fan base. Trey, you go into the garden hitting the shots, bowing, you are very much a showman, yet that's been flipped into being a villain. I'll be the first to say it. Being a villain stinks. It's no fun. Now, Trey Young did say on his podcast that, quote, I don't really like being that way, but it's been that way since high school. When I was averaging 40 points in my senior year, I was going into other arenas and they were chanting overrated. I'm not that type of person. I'd rather just go out there, put on a show, have fun, smile, and get the win. Okay. And I understand that. Nobody likes to get booed, right? Nobody wants to get booed. Nobody wants to be criticized or what have you. But here's the thing. I, I You have to embrace being the heel in sports. You have to embrace that idea. And what's a heel? That's the bad guy. In wrestling terms, there are good guys and bad guys. The good guys are baby faces. The the bad guys are heels. Be a heel. I, I, I embrace being a heel on a daily basis. I'm probably one of the few people in the world that enjoys being the bad guy. I enjoy having people argue with me about different things because I always be proven to be right. At the end of the I'm not making stuff up when I say like, hmm, I do all this reading and research and things like that. I don't just throw things at a wall and hope that they stick. I give you what the research tells me and I formulate my opinion from there. So I love, I embrace being the heel. And I want, and I, while I understand, you know, Trey Young is a guy that, you know, is not a big physical specimen and all this kind of stuff. I want him to embrace being the heel. When he goes into Madison Square Garden and he hits the three-pointer and he does the bow or he does the ice tray thing, brother, I'm all for that. I'm all about that life. I want him because, again, if that's what it takes to motivate a guy, and that's what, it, and, and again, sometimes you play with that chip on your shoulder. Sometimes you play ticked off. I want that out of him. <laughs> And it's funny hearing this from Draymond Green, who's the biggest heel in the NBA. Like, he's the ultimate heel. But again, and I understand, look, from a personal standpoint, you know, as I've done radio for more than a decade now and doing this podcast for, again, you have to embrace the idea that people are not going to agree with what you say, you know, and and they're going to boo you and they're going to, you know, do whatever they say or whatever like that. You have to embrace it. I embrace it. I've gotten to the point now in my radio and podcast career and all these different kinds of things that I embrace it. I don't mind being the bad guy. I don't mind being the guy that people want to come after. Trey Young should be the same way. Look at all the things that he's done. Look at all the things that he's accomplished. He's a super max guy. And he stuck it right to the New York Knickerbockers, right? A couple years ago in the playoffs. And he's still putting daggers in the New York Knicks. I love that about Trey Young. 
He can say what his public persona is. Huh? I don't want to be Buddha. Brother, embrace it. Embrace it. Because if if those people, okay, if those people in New York or Boston or whatever like that in Philly are hating you, that means you're doing your job. That means that you're winning basketball games. You're not, you're no matter what Trey Young does, unless he plays for the Knicks or the Celtics or the 76ers, no matter what he does, he's never going to be embraced by those types of fans. Never, unless he's one of them. So understand, doesn't matter what, you know, again, nobody cares about Oklahoma City or, you know, again, Toronto or whatever. If you're hated in New York, Philly, and Boston, you're doing your job. You're you're being successful. And if you're, again, playing for the Atlanta Hawks, if you're going into the Madison Square Garden and beating the Knicks, going into Philadelphia's beating them, going into the Garden, beating the Celtics. Brother, that's do that's you doing your job. And I don't want him to apologize. I don't want him to embrace being the good guy. We're going to root like crazy for Trey, for his success. Because, again, he's our guy. And we're hitched to him. And we're paying him super max money now. Let's embrace it. But I love the idea of being the heel. I love the idea of when New York fans boo him, man, I want him, like, you know, getting get the crowd going. And then he hits a three, hits a step back three, or hits a hits a logo three, and then shuts all those people up in their pie hole and stick it right to him. And we can say, yeah, yeah, Trey. So, again, I understand the concept of, you know, not wanting to be, you know, the bad guy, not wanting to be booed, not wanting to be, you know, the guy that people root against. But you know what? At some point, you have to embrace being the heel. You have to embrace that lifestyle, right? Because then again, you know, when you become that kind of heel for a long enough time and you've accomplished what you've accomplished in winning basketball games, scoring a bunch of points, guess what? At some point, there is that that flip to where people say, okay, it, it's like Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones booed. They called him Larry, right? And, you know, up in New York for the Mutz fans and stuff like that. But talk to Mutz fans now and ask them, you know what? What do you think about Chipper? Well, I didn't like him, but I respect the fact that he came out there and he drubbed us. I don't like it. I don't like him, but he. But I have respect for the fact that he came into our building and he drubbed us. You hear that from Mets fans. Not all of them. Some Mets fans are just, you know, haters in general. But you hear a lot of people that they have respect for a Chipper Jones, right? Even though they called him Larry and all these things during his career. At some point, that's that flip switches and you end up respecting the guy for it. That's what I want out of Trey Young. I understand Trey Young saying it, but again, embrace being the heel. Come together with being the heel. It'll be better because then we'll start winning basketball games, you know, and beating all of these better, you know, organizations. Or I don't even want to say that the Knicks are a better organization, but you understand what I'm saying. That that embrace being that heel because again, the long term effects are good for the fan base. All right, well, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Be sure to go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we do thank you so much for being a part of this journey and being a part of the program. Let us know that you listen in 
five days a week to the program as an everydayer, as we like to call them. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Check us out on the Sirius XM app as well. Follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.